Hi, this is Susan. And this is Portia. And welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And today is going to be a good, good day. I have been looking forward to this because, uh, I mean, Portia, you know, we're both in different towns. I'm over here near Washington, D.C. You're in Minnesota. And today I've been specifically looking forward to it because in our area of my area of the country, I mean, any area of the country really right now, but <laughs> in my area of the country, it, we, people lean really heavy into talking about politics. Like it yeah. is, it is often, and it is, it is a constant thing. And I, um, our friend Ashley that we had on our podcast before, um, she recommended Sarah as, mm-hmm. as a guest to come on. And when I read Sarah's bio and I saw the book that she had written, I was like, this is going to be good. It's it- going to be I think this is one of those that is going to be really good for our mind. Because I think in the church, sometimes we're like, oh, we love Jesus, which is so important. And we read the Bible, which is so important. Um, But we don't always engage in critical thought. And I think that it is so necessary for us to love Jesus, to love people, and to engage in critical thought about the things that are impacting our world. And um, so I'm I'm super pumped for this. And I think too, right now, um, the church finds itself divided over political issues mm-hmm. so much so that you can't even hold a conversation that yeah. is um, honoring in the way you treat each other. But it also, it's it's so important to still honor one another in your disagreements. Yes. And man, today is going to be good. So why don't we jump right in and you introduce our guest and then okay. we're going to dive right into the questions. All right. This sounds great. Okay, y'all. Today we have Sarah Anderson. She grew up in a culturally aware and politically involved family a few miles from the heart of Washington, D.C. When her dad ran for president her senior year in high school, she made the decision to move to the Pittsburgh area to attend a small Christian college and major in Christian thought. Today, she lives in Atlanta as a wife, mom, author, a speaker who deeply loves her family and the church. You're going to love her story and our discussion with her about her new book, The Space Between Us, how Jesus teaches us to live together when politics and religion pull us apart. Welcome, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. This is going to be so good. Thank you. It's going to be amazing. Okay, so let's jump right in. Our first question is, what was it like growing up in D.C. in a politically involved family? I mean, like, I grew up in D.C. for a few years, but not a politically involved family. (laughs) My dad did serve in the Army, so we just said yes to the command. Yeah, um, I think, you know, you if you've lived in D.C., then you do know there is like uh, there's a bubble that exists yeah. in that city. Yeah. Right. And so I think you can kind of get sucked into the political bubble, whether your family's involved in politics or not. But my family was very involved in it, that my parents moved to D.C. out of college, both independently of each other to get involved in politics. They met. Uh, working at the Republican National Committee, fell in love. We call them a political fairy tale. And then my dad um, started working for the Reagan administration. He volunteered on their campaign and then worked in their administration as undersecretary of education and then chief domestic policy advisor to the president. And so when I was younger, in my elementary age years, we kind of got all the perks of political involvement. You know, we got to go to like inaugural parades mm. and the White House Easter egg roll. And we we're like, this is fantastic. What's not to love? About? <laughs> that is so fun. 
we got to meet President Reagan at one point, and, and it was just it was a fabulous experience. But then um, my senior year of high school, my dad decided to run for president himself. So he uh-huh. threw his hat into the Republican nomination process, and that was kind of what exposed us to a little bit more of the darker side of politics. Sure. Um, you see a little bit more of the underbelly. And I think we all know this just watching from afar, but having seen my dad experience it firsthand and our family walking through it firsthand, um, we really got to see how little control you have over the narrative being mm. spun about you and your family. Wow. And you realize that you can get one soundbite taken out of context or a bad interview on, a, on an off day. And suddenly there's this perception people have about you um, that isn't necessarily true. Or the other side of that is someone could learn your you know, political position, your, your foreign policy ideas, and then they would make a judgment call on you as a human and on your character. And to me, what was so frustrating is they didn't ever get to know my dad. You know, They could mm-hmm. make judgments about where he landed on certain issues, but they didn't know that he would take a red eye home every Friday night to catch my brother's basketball game Saturday morning. Aww. Or mm-hmm. they didn't know that he had terrible tastes in sci-fi movies. Like they just, <laughs> These were the things that made him my dad, yeah. and they didn't know that. And so I think that was where it started to feel more like this narrative is out of our control. Um, that it's so easy to care, make a caricature out of our public officials, or the, the celebrity mm. status of anybody, really. Um, and the other thing that was hard in that season was, in a primary season, it's Republicans versus other Republicans and Democrats versus other Democrats. And, mm-hmm. and you know that Washington is a very um, conflicted town with different parties against each other. But in primary season, you're fighting against people on your own team. Mm-hmm. And it's just as vicious and just as hurtful, more so, I think, because yeah. under any other circumstances, these would be people you'd be locking arms with and fighting right. on the same issues with. And all of a sudden, these are adversaries. And it it really seemed to point out to me how quickly we can other one another, right? Wow. We are so quick to find that one thing that makes us different yeah. and turn that into um, a line in the sands. Like we can yeah. no longer be friends. We can no longer be fighting on the same team because of that one thing. Wow. Wow. Now that's, that's wisdom. I had not thought about it, but you're exactly right. It's it during primaries, it is the same side against each other. And that can be a lonely, a lonely place. Yeah. To and then uh, everyone's supposed to get over it at the convention. Yeah. <laughs> be on yeah. the same team again. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, that's so crazy. Yeah. Um, your book, the space between us has been described as an entire book on how to survive our biggest differences. Now, how would you describe your book? Yeah, I, mean, I would say is primarily about politics and religion, probably because those are the things that elicit the most emotion from us yes. right now. But I think the truth is anyone who's living in any kind of a relationship with anyone else knows what it feels like to have to navigate differences, you know, whether that's family, marriage, you know, children, whatever that is, we're all talking about it. So for me, I, I kind of see the book as a companion guide for people that it's my story of, of kind of how I learned how to navigate this because the, the background a little bit was my family walked through this. It was really difficult. And then as I grew up and left Washington and, and moved out of town, there were some issues that I changed my mind on that was different from my family. And 
And because my family is so politically involved and continues to be to this day, we didn't have the luxury of just avoiding political conversations. Mm -hmm. We had to figure out a way to talk about things, even the ones we didn't agree on anymore. And so it was just kind of my experience in having to walk through these difficult experiences, um, different difficult conversations with my family and, and what we've learned to do, not always getting it right, but just kind of the principles that have really guided us in that time. Um, so it's not a book that's going to help reaffirm everything you already think. It's not going to help you win an argument. It's not going to point <laughs> out where the other side is wrong and you were right all along. It Gosh, really, Sarah. <laughs> I, I know, which is what we all want. We all want that. Um, but it really is for people who are willing to be self-reflective and to mm. ask themselves hard questions. There's questions at the end of every chapter of just kind of like, what am I contributing to the problem? Like I, we all know that the political conversation or just, you know, the, the cultural conversation is not in a healthy place right now. Yeah. And this yeah. is for people who want to be part of the solution and they're yeah. not <laughs> willing to wait for the leaders to do it for them, you yeah. know, national leaders, religious leaders, whatever. They want to do it with the people at their own dining room table or in their own neighborhood, whatever that looks like. I love that. I love, I love that you're talking about um, that at the end of each chapter that you've got ways that you can be a part of the solution. Because I do feel like, I mean, every year, I've, and I agree, but every four years when the major election happens, mm-hmm. uh, you find we always find ourselves saying we've never been in this circumstance <laughs> But we sincerely have never been in this circumstance yeah. before where, right. um, I mean, we have friendships that are ending because right. of politics. We have family members not speaking to other family members because of politics. Um, in some instances, I've even heard their churches splitting yeah. because of politics. And I think this is a unique time that we are living in where I feel like in some instances we're losing our collective minds. Like we're not, we're not remembering the way that we are supposed to conduct ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I love that your book is about uniting in the middle of differences because mm-hmm. it's, it is so odd right now that the political climate, mm-hmm. no matter what side someone finds themselves on, it's like, I'm, I know I'm rambling right now, but it, it really is watch because one of my dearest friends called me the other day and was talking to me about um, her family. A few of her family members have chosen that they're just never going to speak to each other again. Oh. And I just think, when did we get to this? And even she said to me, I've heard stories like this. I never thought it would be my family experience. And I think when did this get like this? When did we become this? And I think what a tool this could be in the hands of, for churches, for Mm -hmm. family members, Mm -hmm. I think for sermon series, for pastors that are preaching. I mean, it's, it's about unity and isn't that what Christ is about? He's about, yes, but yeah. Oh, my heavens. So when you had the idea for this book and you brought it to your publishers, you experienced some resistance because they said to you, okay, it's not conservative enough for the conservatives. It's not liberal enough for the liberals. I mean, how, what did that say to you when that was the resistance that you were running into? Yeah. Well, it, that's disappointing on multiple levels when you're trying to get published and <laughs> and publishers don't want it. Um, I ended up self-publishing for that reason because I felt like 
I needed ownership over the message and I didn't want to make it more conservative or make it more liberal. The whole sure. idea was to, to me, it confirmed what I think we were already starting to see in culture that people think we don't want to hear anything different than what we already believe that we only mm-hmm. want to stay in our lane. And if something's going to make us uncomfortable, people don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a segment of the population that agrees with that. But I think for people who are interested in getting healthy, that that's not, we don't want that. We want right. to read something that makes us feel a little bit more uncomfortable. So what I, I, what I wanted to do was to create a message that made people on both sides feel a little uncomfortable because the problem oh. isn't always going to be with them over there. Right. The problem is going to be with what am I doing to contribute to that? So um, I think, you know, I think social media has kind of contributed to this, um, to the, the culture we're finding ourselves in. Susan, you were saying earlier, like, how did we get here? I think a big part of it is is contributed to, at least in part, by the social media phenomenon that right. it is so easy for us to exist in echo chambers, um, to find the news channel that, that will tell us the reality we want to hear, to right. follow the people that will confirm everything we already think. And we can choose that. But in addition to that, the algorithms of social media are mm-hmm. putting us with these people without us even knowing it. So mm-hmm. we're, we're self-selecting echo chambers and we're also not even having an option. And so mm-hmm. then we start to think, okay, this is the unbiased truth, whatever I'm hearing. And people who think differently have completely lost the plot without ever being exposed to what different could actually look like. Right. So I think that that's part of the problem. So I think if we continue to live and exist in circles that only feed us what we want to hear, the divide is going to become even greater, not necessarily because our positions are that different, but because mm-hmm. the way we have dehumanized the other side without ever right. having to like yes. Right. I think it's important to say that, um, that there are followers of Jesus on both sides of the aisle. I, um, I like to say to young adults and to teenagers specifically, and I was like, hey, hey, please know that just because someone says that they are a conservative or a part of a particular party, a conservative party, does not equal follower of Jesus. That's right. Conversely, if they are a part of a liberal party, that does not equal not a follower of Jesus. And I set it up that way because a little bit, that was the undertone of my growing up. Oh, for sure. Is that yeah. if you follow Jesus, that means you are conservative in every way. That's right. And, um, and that's something that I have railed against in the yeah. last several months of just, no, 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 no. Just because you are conservative does not mean automatically that what you were saying lines up with what God's word says. Right. Right. And um, when we talked about just thinking through these things, I have learned so much from people who have different political views than I do. I have learned so much. And I believe that God has used the, my, I have friends in my life that don't follow Jesus, yeah. but because of their experiences and the way that they think about things, it has caused empathy to grow in my heart that was not there before. Okay. Because, you know, yep. it's, it's, you talked about othering, that it's our tendency to other people. Yeah. But when you get to be friends with the others, air quote, the others, it's really hard to just blanketly say, oh, they're like this or they would never because now you have a face, you have stories, you have history and it makes you go, I need to rethink some things. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many reasons why attaching Jesus to a political party is a bad idea. But I think one of the the bigger problems in doing that is if you can, I think what you all were alluding to earlier at the very beginning of the episode is that we stop thinking critically. If we just think automatically that God is on our side, then we don't have to think critically about any of the positions our side holds because we think God endorses it. So it must be fine. 
And then it becomes our side is good and the other side is evil. Yeah. Right. And that's where we get into a big problem. Obviously there are political decisions that can be made that are harmful and Mm -hmm. and there are evil ideas out there. I don't want to brush past that because I think there are bad ideas, but I think we've fallen into this trap of thinking a different idea from our side is bad and different does not always equal bad. So I I think when we attach Jesus to the one party or the other, that's the temptation is to assume he endorses all of our party and would be not just um, not with that party, but opposed anti the people in that party. And that's not Jesus. Well, and you mentioned something um, that is so fascinating to me. And I think we don't stop and pause to understand the reality of this. You, you talked about in social media that we're in our own echo, echo chamber, which that's a brilliant description of that, but even more so, um, the algorithms of Mm -hmm. the way that we lean on social media or the people we follow or whatever we do, those are then the things that are fed to us by whatever that this cloud of existence is up here. Mm -hmm. And they start feeding us things. And I don't ever want to underestimate what that does to our own minds and our Mm -hmm. own souls. Because if you're only, say you're only leaning one way and that's the only thing you're ever fed, we right. never need to underestimate what that's doing to our own. I mean, I think we need, it, it means we need to stop and pause and think, what is being fed to my brain right now? That's right. Right. Because, oh my heavens, yeah. mm-hmm. it changes us. Yeah. It really does. I mean, what I know is I love that... <laughs> I don't want to get preachy, but this is my, this is what I have to say. Because if I um, am on social media too long and I'll start reading articles or something, it starts, it starts making your blood pressure rise Mm -hmm. a little bit. You're thinking, I can't believe that happened. Well, how come I never, what in the world? What in the world? And you start all of a sudden ramping something up in your mind when in reality, I have to take a step back and personally say, yeah, the word of God is alive and active and able to change my heart. No Amen. other document should be able to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I should That's not good. be having this experience simply from an article. And uh, it really does change us. It really does. And um, it also is a little eerie that yeah. the world has become that you can be fed mm-hmm. what they want you to watch and listen. It's so yes. crazy. Yeah. So crazy. Did y'all see the social dilemma on Netflix? Oh, girl, Yes. I haven't oh, yet. So Google good. is telling me that it is a must watch. Yes, it really it will is. make you think and just reevaluate. Yes. Um, what you're consuming, how you're consuming, and they give some practical tips of how you can kind of trick the al- algorithm, which I yeah. appreciate. I do. So it goes into detail about the algorithms. Well, just that they exist. Mostly that they exist. That your attention is what's mm-hmm. being. So it's not that the objective isn't to communicate to you the truth about something. It's to keep you on the page longer. So you've got to remember that when you're, when you're reading, you know, tweets that get um, more traction because outrage gets your attention more than a feel good tweet. No one stays on a page longer because they feel great. They're like, I cannot believe it. Keep, keep scrolling. Mm -hmm. Like you just want to, it feeds that. And just knowing that it, that's what they're trying to sell us. They're selling right. us outrage. They're selling us something mm-hmm. that gets us fed up that we will share with other people. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the commodity, our attention and trying right. to share. Now that's a good word is that 
it's selling us outrage. And if, okay, think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that people are sharing. So yes. do we want to be known as a people that share outreach or we want to be known as people that share unity. Right. I mean, truly that, yeah. well, I got to watch that. Well, because unity is the powerful thing. And that is why as the church, I, one of my prayers has been, God, help us to recognize what's going on. And I'm not talking about recognize what conspiracy is happening and who is doing. I'm saying recognize with spiritual eyes that the enemy of our souls is trying to sow discord and disunity because Jesus said in John 17, I pray that they'll be one as you and I are one so that the world will believe that we, that you love them and that you sent me. So when the church is not unified, it completely unravels the message of the gospel. It completely takes away the opportunity to talk about who Jesus is. And I think that's why there's such a fight in the church right now. Yes, mm-hmm. I think you're right. And I think even the adding to that confusion is the fact that we've confused unity with sameness. Yes. That's a problem. I don't think what the objective Ooh. is for all of us to land on the same page on every single issue, but we've got to keep in mind what are the most important common denominators of our faith and rally around those and have it be okay that there are Republicans and Democrats represented in our churches that mm-hmm. stand for important different things. Mm-hmm. If we can begin to see it's not one side bad versus good, but different right. on different issues and different parties drawing attention to different issue, issues and they all matter, right. then we're not going to have one team winning over the other. We're going to have a third option of everybody bringing their best to the table and yeah. unity in those most important. Yes. I have so many pictures in my head. I was like, it's a zipper. It's a football team. It's yes. a volleyball team. And I'm <laughs> thinking about all the different things that have different parts. A recipe. I mean, we can right. keep going. All these different parts that some are really seen, some are really loud, some by themselves are caustic. But when you pair it with the other part of the recipe, oh, it's something beautiful or the play makes sense. I'm mixing all of my metaphors right now. <laughs> but I just, it's a beautiful thing. When instead of railing against each other and being divided, but celebrating the differences because your, your strengths are probably my weaknesses. Right. Yeah. Well, and I love, I love Sarah. I mean, if our listeners are hearing anything, I want them to hear what you just said, that unity does not equal sameness. Right. That is a powerful thought across the board of everything. Because I mean, even earlier this morning, Portia and I were talking about, um, with, uh, our other partner about, um, strengths and weaknesses and where God is, God brings to us people that are strong where we are weak. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. But we have now convinced ourselves that everyone must be the same in order for there to be unity. Sarah, that is brilliant. That is a brilliant thought that families need to hear within their families, that churches need to hear within their churches, that unity does not mean sameness. Right. Well, can you imagine? I mean, we're we're all married on this call right now. While my husband and I have similarities, we are very different. Yeah. But we yeah. work. It makes That's us better parents. Yes. We minister for the kingdom of God better because we're different and we complement yes. the yes. C O M P L E yes. complement each other. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's where, where we've kind of lost the plot is, is thinking that the tension is the problem because when there are differences, there, are, there is tension, but if we're, if we think the tension is the problem, then we're going to want to aim for sameness. But yeah. when we start to recognize that the tension isn't the problem, it's how we're handling the tension. It's how we're yeah. treating the person on the other side of the tension. That's the right. problem that we don't want to shy away from the kind of pushing up against one another a little bit with yeah. our ideas. Like that's a good thing. That's what leads to critical thinking. That what's, that's what leads to both sides um, being able to bring out the best ideas. We're never going to arrive on the, at the best ideas on our own. We're going to need yeah. someone to point out our blind spots, the things yeah. that we're not able to see. And the other side does that for us. So yeah. mm-hmm. that's the problem isn't the conflict. It's how we're treating people on the other side. Mm. That's yeah. so good. And you know, um, another thing that I'm thinking, I've been thinking through a lot in the last, you know, 10 months since this major election happened is that um, I'm a, I'm a family minister at my church. And so I'm watching how adults are behaving and how their children are watching the adults behave. Mm -hmm. And then they are thinking that's the appropriate behavior for the future. Like that's how we behave. And um, I think so much, I mean, I, I know I'm sounding like a commercial right now, but if you are a parent, you need to go get this book because we need to be able to have an understanding of how to handle our differences in ways that the next generation can live them out in a way that is not chaotic Yeah, because they're watching us be chaotic right now. So how about let's hope better for them. (laughs) Let's hope better for them. But that leads me to my next question is, so the election is over and how do we move forward from here? Because I believe, um, within our churches, within our homes, within our communities, we need a plan for moving forward that is helpful because I really sincerely, I mean, here's the example I'll give you for a moment is um, here. We've got our little house where I'm living on one side. We have um, people flying one banner and literally on the other side, we have people flying the other banner. Mm -hmm. And my daughter looks at me as I was bringing her home one day and she goes, mama, which banner are we supposed to have? <laughs> I mean, like she was so confused because she loves both of our neighbors. And she mm-hmm. looked at me and she went, and what are we supposed to do? And I said, we're supposed to love them. Like we're mm-hmm. going to love this banner and we're going to love these people that are hanging this banner. Mm-hmm. But it is confusing for these little minds to try to watch these adults behaving this way. And then for them to figure out how do I behave? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, So how do we move forward after this election? Yeah, well, I think it's really important what, exactly what you're saying, drawing attention to the generation behind us. And that was what you know influenced me in a lot of ways to, to write this. I have an eight-year-old and 11-year-old who were saying to me, I hate politics because of what mm-hmm. they were seeing in campaign ads and the stuff that yeah. they were, the mailers they were getting in the mailbox. And they were seeing a way of politics playing out that I could relate to because that's why I left DC. I hated mm-hmm. politics too. It yeah. only was until a couple of years ago that I realized, no, I don't hate politics. I hate the way politics is being played. And there's sure. a better way. And so we've got to demonstrate that better way. But, you know, Portia, you mentioned this, that this is an opportunity for empathy. So every four years or two years, you know, whatever election is, we have an opportunity to empathize with the winning and losing side because all of us have had our quote unquote team lose and all of us have had our team win. And so this is an opportunity to lean into, to say to people who won or lost or saw their side winning or losing, I get it. I've been there. I know Mm -hmm. what that feels like. Um, And vice versa. They can say that same thing to us. So I think it's an opportunity to lean into that. Um, 
and kind of a little bit about what I touched on earlier is not shying away from the tension or the differences and looking for ways that with one side in power, what can that side bring out that maybe our side didn't bring out? And again, vice versa and prioritizing that. So I think when we begin to understand what we were built on as a country, um, these ideas of democracy and diverse opinions, to me, it is encouraging that we live in a country where people feel empowered enough to express their dissent. That yeah. is a really good thing. There are not there are countries in the world where that is not possible. Where right. once the election happens, the population is supposed to fall in line, and you just you follow your person, and the person mm-hmm. who's elected is the person. You just don't even yeah. vocalize anything yeah. different. So the fact that we can have an election day, and the day after people are like, "I'm mad." or the day after people be like, I'm super excited. That's mm-hmm. a really great thing. We want to live in a place where people have the freedom to bring their entire selves politically, um, emotionally, mentally, all of it to the table and express that. So I don't think, I think we want to be careful that when we talk about a way forward, we're not saying everybody needs to land on the same page. This is the right way versus the wrong way, wrong side, but allow people to express all of it. Um, and that's how we end up with the best ideas is everybody be having the freedom to do that. So I think we just need to lean in, um, to the empathy piece, lean into where our differences are, um, and become aware of maybe the blind spots our side, our party might have that the other party doesn't have, and and pay attention to to what those blind spots can point out in us. And you know, again, Portia, you said once you're attaching a name and a face to someone, it is so much easier to love them. You're yeah. you're called to love the person, even if you don't love the position they're holding. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that story of the person. Yeah. I, um, this is a, a really dumb example. I'm going to go back to football for a second. Second, my, <laughs> um, my extended family is all in, um, DC, Southern Maryland area. So, um, my NFL allegiance is mm-hmm. the Washington football team. Yes. And, uh, well done. And, uh, my husband is a Cowboy fan. Oh my word! Oh, yes, he's from <laughs> Dallas, and so he always jokes and says, "Yes, we're unequally yoked." Um, <laughs> I, but I just think it shows the supernatural power that there is in marriage. That uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and also, it doesn't hurt that right now neither one of our teams are stellar. That's right. No, but that's that right. game on Thanksgiving yeah. was fantastic. It was yes. a great yes. game. I was super so pumped fun. about it. I will say this, like I can remember when we moved from Washington, D.C., we moved to Texas, just outside of Dallas. And um, and in my in my kid mind, just being like, ah, Dallas Cowboy fans, they're awful. Like literally, like this is something that's in my head. And then meeting people that were Cowboy fans, which is like everybody in Dallas, um, (laughs) they are really nice people. Yeah. Yeah. Or here, even go to take a step further there are cowboys that have played like the mid nineties, late nineties. There are some amazing characters that have played on the Dallas Cowboys that I have so much respect for. And I can remember thinking, I can't believe that I like this person. I went Portia (laughs) person. And the fact that they happen to play for a team that is the rival of the team that you were taught to, to cheer for your whole life really doesn't matter. Emmett Smith is a stand-up guy. <laughs> Troy Aikman was an amazing quarterback. Yes. Am I a Cowboy fan? No, but I have respect right. for the game and I have respect for those players. Okay, I do that whole long story. Side note of, I think sometimes we, when we give ourselves the permission 
to engage with someone who does not think the same that same way that we do, or they have different experiences than we do. I think we surprise ourselves at how much affection can develop in our heart for that person, but you can't do it if you don't take the step to engage with that person, which can be scary, but I'm like, take the sure. plunge. also, I know I'm an extrovert, but still. <laughs> yeah. No, you're you're 100% right. The, the engagement is for sure the key piece here. And if you're not willing to do that, then we're just going to continue to reinforce the mm-hmm. false beliefs about the other people that we're holding. But yeah, I think uh, the, the football illustration, I resonate. I resonate with that a lot. And I think, <laughs> it, I think it gives us credibility too with our quote unquote side to be able to say to the other side, you make a great point. I haven't thought about that before, or you're bringing something to my attention that I haven't noticed. And to be able to say, this is where my side has gotten it wrong. Mm -hmm. But I think we lose credibility and we lose influence when we're only ever to see, ever able to see the good in us and the bad in others. Call out the self-awareness and our own teams, parties, whatever it is, then um, I think we're losing our influence with people we're trying to reach. Yeah. And you know, what comes to my mind when I'm hearing uh, what Portia said and what you said is when the Bible tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak, because I think the more empathy we can have is when we are quick to listen and slow to speak. And we're quick to listen to somebody else's thoughts. Even if we don't agree with them, it's a part of building a relationship with them. Yeah. And we can be quick to listen and slow to speak then hopefully we can be slow to become angry. (laughs) That's another area where I think social media has hurt us because we've, we've turned our social media platforms are a place for us to monologue, right? We put out our thoughts and then we walk away and and there's not, it's not engagement. It's everyone just kind of reactivity to something. Mm -hmm. But when we begin to take back the art of conversation, then it is an exchange of ideas. It's not one monologue and then another monologue and that's it. But this is, it's the back and forth that where relationships are built. That's so good. I said, this is so timely. And I, um, I think I said this before we were on the air. Yes, is worse, but I want to say it now. I really believe that this book is uh, for such a time as this. I really believe that your voice and equipping people and and not just people who follow Jesus, anybody can pick up this book and benefit from it and know that if we can just regain the humanity of, hey, all of us are image bearers. All of us are trying to figure this out. All of us just we want good things for our lives. Right. I think that's the thing that I marvel about people. We, we all want our families to be healthy and happy. We want to be able to provide. We want to have some joy. Yeah. That, that's what we're, we're looking for. And if we can remember that about the other person. And so I just, I cannot thank you enough mm-hmm. for braving such a difficult topic, especially in this season. Yeah. I'm sure it's been difficult in other seasons, but I live in all those other seasons. I live in this one. <laughs> yeah. And I, I believe that it it has, and I'm, I'm believing and will be praying that God will continue to breathe on what you have done, yeah. that doors will be open and that you will be able to speak into not just circumstances, but people's lives, that the words that God has given you will literally shift and yeah. change the trajectory 
of relationships, families, of organizations, that there will be ripple effects for years to come because you chose to take the experience that you had in your life and bring it to a space of this is what I have learned and this is what God has shown me and what I am trying to do. So I want to share with others. I just believe that God is going to do that, Sarah. This is just, this is more than just a book. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I I love that. I love that. And I do think we're going to put in our show notes, how you can get um, Sarah's book because I, it's a perfect small group book. If you are in a small group, this is a guided way how to have conversations that are necessary without it getting crazy because Mm -hmm. there's guided ways at the end of each chapter to be able to walk through that. So if you are in a small group, you need to go and get this. If you are in a family you need to get this. Like, I just believe we need to learn how to play nice with each other because yeah. truthfully, I believe it is our witness. It is Amen. how we move forward in being the kingdom of God. And when we are able to empathize and love others well, um, we when we had a few months ago, Sarah, we had this event called At the Table, mm-hmm. and it was all on um, racial reconciliation. And Portia led us out in it. It was amazing. We had all these women join us online, and we were able to have conversations. Well, since then, we've had people that have emailed us after uh, being a part of that or listening, going back and listening to the podcast of it. And it all came down to empathy yeah. for one another. And that if we can understand better the story that someone is walking, we have a better understanding of playing nice with one another and being kind and doing and treating each other with complete love. And I, I feel like that is what your book is teaching us how to do all over again in a season that is completely gross. (laughs) It is. It is. Uh, Sarah, we ask all of our guests if there were one idea that you would be able to leave us with today, what would it be? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think, you know, we've touched on this uh, to kind of danced around it a little bit, but I I would just say to not give up on each other. Don't give up on the relationships of the the relationships you already have that feel like are fractured and are beyond repair. Um, The relationships you're afraid to begin with people who are different. Um, Just don't give up on each other. I, I, I would say do the work it requires to dismantle the narratives you have about whatever the other is in your life. Um, I tell this story in in the book, but there's a chapter called Names Versus Narratives. Mm -hmm. And I tell this story of going with my family to um, the African-American Museum of Culture and History in Washington, D.C. And it's a fantastic museum. If you've never been, um, I loved it. Our family loved it. But the whole museum, it kind of starts as taking you on a journey and you go in at the ground level and then you go underground. You start there. That's the first exhibit. And um, it's supposed to feel like you're going through a journey of an African-American starting on the shores of Africa, and then you're in the hull of a slave ship, and then you're on the shores of the United States. And you turn the corner, and there's a statue of Thomas Jefferson, and you're, he's surrounded by these quotes from the uh, founding documents that he contributed to, things like all men are created equal, and, mm-hmm. and words like that that our, our country was founded on. But then behind him, there's a stack of bricks, 600 bricks, and engraved on the bricks are the names of the slaves he owned. And it's this incredibly powerful picture of the juxtaposition that 
is the complication of all of us, right? You had this man who was a genius in his ideas, but was unable to live them out in his own personal life. Yes. And I, I just remember that image and thinking, that's, that's all of us. If we can stop seeing the other as being evil and realize that the line between good and evil runs down the middle of each and every one of us. And when we get close enough to learn the names of people, the stories of people, the, the actual human that was Thomas Jefferson, the humans that he enslaved and, and had live on his property, that we realize things are so much more complicated than we give people credit for and, and that we cannot oversimplify the narrative, that the closer we get, the more we realize how complicated we all are. And so when I say don't give up on each other, I think I mean to lean into the messiness of relationships mm. and people and to realize that um, it's not as clear cut as we think when it comes to positions and policies and, and all of it. There's so much more to it and to do the work to get beneath the layers, to feel uncomfortable. If you don't feel uncomfortable, you're probably not doing it right. It mm. should feel uncomfortable. Mm. It should feel like um, things are being dismantled in you. And as you learn about other people, and I think that that's a scary thing, but I think it's, it's worth it. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Sarah, you're a treasure. You really are. You are a treasure. (laughs) This this is, it is a doable thing because I think right now we are being taught that uh, unity in this season is not attainable anymore. Yeah. And you have proven that wrong in these last 45 minutes. You've proven that wrong in that it is absolutely attainable because it doesn't have to equal sameness, but it does have to equal empathy. And man, I'm hopeful. This just gives hope. This just, there's so much hope. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, if you are listening to this right now and you know of somebody that needs to hear this uh, message, first, we would ask you to immediately go and get Sarah's book. And second, we would ask that you share this episode because um, you guys, Jesus desires unity in his body. He does. Mm -hmm. He desires unity. And it is not something that uh, we should just think is a far off hope, but that it is something that is attainable if we put the hard work in. I feel like I sound like Irene Rollins. Irene always says, put the work in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we put the work in, that um, it, is a t- it is an attainable thing. Um, and that space between us um, can be a good space between us um, if we allow it to be. So Sarah, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Y'all are a blast. Oh. You're great. Oh my goodness. This was so fun. I will say also side note, um, because I know people are like, what in the world, Susan, you and your bandwagon, but you also work for orange and people know how much I think about orange. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because you and Ashley and Kristen Ivy, we now have got three orange people that have been on. And I'm telling you yet again, uh, if you are ever looking for a church, you need to find an orange church because those churches, woo, they're good. Y'all they're awesome. good, good places. Yeah. Good so, all right, friends. Thank well, you. we love you and um, we will see you guys again next Friday. Yep. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.